Chapter forty two of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter forty two. Madame de Sabloukoff in the morning. Madame de Sabloukoff inhabited the grand apartment of the Hotel d'Italie, which is the handsomest quarter of the great hotel of Florence. The same suite which had once the distinguished honour of receiving a Tsar and a King of Prussia, and heaven knows how many lesser potentates, was now devoted to one who, though not of the small number of the elect in purple, was yet in her way what politicians call a puissance. As in the drama, a vast number of agencies are required for the due performance of a piece, so on the greater stage of life, many of the chief motive powers rarely are known to the public eye. The princess was of this number. She was behind the scenes in more than one sense, and had her share in the great events of her time. While her beauty lasted, she had traded on the great capital of attractions which were unsurpassed in Europe. As the perishable flower faded, she, with prudential foresight, laid up a treasure in secret knowledge of people and their acts, which made her dreaded and feared where she was once admired and flattered. Perhaps, it is by no means improbable, she preferred this latter tribute to the former. Although the strong sunlight was tempered by the closed jealousies and the drawn muslin curtains, she sat with her back to the window so that her features were but dimly visible in the darkened atmosphere of the room. There was something of coquetry in this, but there was more. There was a dash of semi-secrecy in the air of gloom and stillness around, which gave to each visitor who presented himself, and she received but one at a time, an impression of being admitted to an audience of confidence and trust. The mute-like servant who waited in the corridor without, and who drew back a massive curtain on your entrance, also aided the delusion, imparting to the interview a character of mysterious solemnity. Through that solemn portal there had passed in and out during the morning various dignitaries of the land, ministers and envoys, and grand charges of the court. The embroidered key of the chamberlain and the purple stockings of a nuncio had come and gone, and now there was a brief pause, for the groom-in-waiting had informed the crowd in the antechamber that the princess could receive no more. Then there was a hurried scrawling of great names in a large book, a shower of visiting cards, and all was over. The fine equipages of fine people dashed off, and the courtyard of the hotel was empty. The large clock on the mantelpiece struck three, and Madame de Sabloukoff compared the time with her watch, and by a movement of impatience showed a feeling of displeasure. She was not accustomed to have her appointments lightly treated, and he, for whom she had fixed an hour, was now thirty minutes behind his time. She had been known to resent such unpunctuality, and she looked as though she might do so again. "'I remember the day when his grand-uncle descended from his carriage to speak to me,' muttered she, and that same grand-uncle was an emperor. Perhaps the chance reflection of her image in the large glass before her somewhat embittered the recollection for her features flushed, and as she suddenly grew pale again, it may have been that her mind went rapidly back to a period 
when her fascination was a despotism that even the highest and haughtiest obeyed too true said she speaking to herself time has dealt heavily with us all but they are no more than what they once were than am i their old compact of mutual assistance is crumbling away under the pressure of new rivalries and new pretensions kings and kaisers will soon be like bygone beauties i wonder will they bear their altered fortune as heroically it is but just to say that her tremulous accents and quivering top lip bore little evidence of the heroism she spoke of she rang the bell violently and as the servant entered she said but in a voice of perfect unconcern when the count von wahnsdorf calls you will tell him that i am engaged but will receive him to-morrow and why not to-day charming princess said a young man entering hastily and whose graceful but somewhat haughty air set off to every advantage his splendid hungarian costume why not now said he stooping to kiss her hand with respectful gallantry she motioned to the servant to withdraw and they were alone you are not over exact in keeping an appointment monsieur she said stiffly it is somewhat cruel to remind me that my claims in this respect have grown antiquated i fancied myself the soul of punctuality my dear princess said he adjusting the embroidered pelisse he wore over his shoulder you mentioned four as the hour i said three o'clock she replied coldly three four even five what does it signify he said carelessly we have not either of us i suspect much occupation to engage us and if i have interfered with your other plans if you have plans a thousand pardons cried he suddenly as the deep colour of her face and her flashing eye warned him that he had gone too far but the fact is i was detained at the riding-school they have sent me some young horses from the banat and i went over to look at them the count de Vansdorf knows that he need make no apologies to madame de sabloukoff said she calmly but it were just as graceful perhaps to affect them my dear count continued she but in a tone perfectly free from all touch of irritation i have asked to see and speak with you on matters purely your own you want to dissuade me from this marriage said he interrupting but i fancy that i have already listened to everything that can be urged on that affair if you have any argument other than the old one about misalliance and the rest of it i'll hear it patiently though i tell you beforehand that i should like to learn that a connection with an imperial house had some advantage besides that of a continual barrier to one's wishes i understand she said quietly that you named the terms on which you would abandon this project is it not so who told you that cried he angrily is this another specimen of the delicacy with which ministers treat a person of my station to discuss that point count would lead us wide of our mark am i to conclude that my informant was correct how can i tell what may have been reported to you he said almost rudely you shall hear and judge for yourself was the calm answer count kolorath informed me that you offered to abandon this marriage on condition that you were appointed to the command of the palen hussars the young man's face became scarlet with shame and he tried twice to speak but unavailingly with a merciless slowness of utterance and a manner of the most unmoved sternness she went on i did not deem the proposal at all exorbitant it was a price that they could well afford to pay well they refused me said he bluntly not exactly refused you said she more gently they reminded you of the necessity of conforming or of at least appearing to conform to the rules of the service 
that you had only been a few months in command of a squadron, that your debts, which were considerable, had been noised about the world, so that a little time should elapse and a favourable opportunity present itself, before this promotion could be effected. How correctly they have instructed you in all the details of this affair, said he, with a scornful smile. It's a rare event when I am misinformed, sir, was her cold reply, nor could it redound to the advantage of those who asked my advice to afford me incorrect information. Then I am quite unable to perceive what you want with me, cried he. It is plain enough that you are in possession of all that I could tell you, or is all this only the prelude to some menace or other? She made no other answer to this rude question than by a smile so dubious in its meaning that it might employ scorn, or pity, or even sorrow. You must not wonder if I be angry, continued he, in an accent that betokens shame at his own violence. They have treated me so long as a fool that they have made me something worse than one. I am not offended by your warmth, Count, said she softly. It is at least the guarantee of your sincerity. I tell you, therefore, I have no threat to hold over you. It would be enough that I can show you the impolicy of this marriage. I don't want to use a stronger word. What estrangement it will lead to as regards your own family, how inadequately it will respond to the sacrifices it must cost. That consideration is for me to think of, madam, said he proudly. And for your friends also, interposed she softly. If by my friends you mean those who have watched every occasion of my life to oppose my plans and thwart my wishes, I conclude that they will prove themselves as vigilant now as heretofore. But I am getting somewhat weary of this friendship. My dear Count, give me a patient, if possible, an indulgent hearing for five minutes, or even half that time, and I hope it will save us both a world of misconception. If this marriage that you are so eager to contract were an affair of love, of that ardent, passionate love which recognises no obstacle, or acknowledges any barrier to its wishes, I could regard the question as one of those everyday events in life whose uniformity is seldom broken by a new incident for love-stories have a terrible sameness in them. She smiled as she said this, and in such a way as to make him smile at first, and then laugh heartily. But if, resumed she, seriously, if I only see in this project a mere caprice, half more than half based upon the pleasure of wounding family pride, or of coercing those who have hitherto dictated to you, if, besides this, I perceive that there is no strong affection on either side, none of that impetuous passion which the world accepts as the attenuating circumstance in rash marriages, and who has told you that I do not love Ida, or that she is not devoted with her whole heart to me, cried he, interrupting her. You yourself have told the first. You have shown it by the price you have laid on the object, the value at which you estimate it. As for the latter part of your question, she paused and arranged the folds of her shawl purposely playing with his impatience and enjoying it well cried he as for the latter part go on it scarcely requires an answer i saw ida delia torre last night in a society of which her affianced husband was not one and i will be bold enough to say hers was not the bearing that bespoke engaged affections indeed said he but in a tone that indicated neither displeasure or surprise. It was, as I have told you, Count, surrounded by the youth of Florence, such as you know them. She laughed and talked and sang in all the careless gaiety of a heart at ease, or, if at moments a shade of sadness crossed her features, 
it was so brief that only one observing her closely as myself could mark it and how did that subtle intelligence of yours interpret this show of sorrow said he in a voice of mockery but yet of deep anxiety my subtle intelligence was not taxed to guess for i knew her secret said the princess with all the strength of a conscious power her secret her secret said he eagerly what do you mean by that the princess smiled coldly and said i have not yet found my frankness so well repaid that i should continue to extend it what is the reward to be madam name it said he boldly the same candour on your part count i ask for no more but what have i to reveal what mystery is there that your omniscience has not penetrated there may be some that your frankness is not avowed my dear count if you refer to what you have called ida's secret no she broke in i was now alluding to what might be called your secret mine my secret exclaimed he but though the tone was meant to convey great astonishment the confusion of his manner was far more apparent your secret count she repeated slowly which has been just as safe in my keeping as if it had been confided to me on honour i was not aware how much i owed to your discretion madam said he scoffingly i am but too happy when any services of mine can rescue the fame of a great family from reproach sir replied she proudly for all the control she had heretofore imposed upon her temper seemed at last to have yielded to offended dignity happily for that illustrious house happily for you too i am one of a very few who know of count warnsdorf's doings to have suffered your antagonist in a duel to be tracked arrested and imprisoned in an austrian fortress when a word from you had either warned him of his peril or averted the danger was bad enough but to have stigmatized his name with cowardice and to have defamed him because he was your rival was far worse Warnsdorf struck the table with his clenched fist till it shook beneath the blow but never uttered a word while with increased energy she continued every step of this bad history is known to me every detail of it from your gross and insulting provocation of this poor friendless youth to the last scene of his committal to a dungeon and of course you have related your interesting narrative to ida cried he no sir the respect which i have never lost for those whose name you bear had been quite enough to restrain me had i not even other thoughts and what may they be asked he to take the first opportunity of finding myself alone with you to represent how nearly it concerns your honour that this affair should never be bruited abroad to insist upon your lending every aid to obtain this young man's liberation to show that the provocation came from yourself and lastly all painful though it be to remove from him the stain you have inflicted and to reinstate him in the esteem that your calumny may have robbed him of these were the other thoughts i alluded to and you fancy that i am to engage in this sea of trouble for the sake of some nameless bastard while in doing so i compromise myself for my own honour do you prefer that it should be done by another count warnstoff she asked this is a threat madam all the speedier will the matter be settled if you understand it as such and of course the next condition will be for me to resign my pretensions to ida in his favour said he with a savage irony i stipulate nothing of the sort count warnsdorf's pretensions will be to-morrow just where they are to-day you hold them cheaply madam i am indeed unfortunate in all my pursuit of your esteem 
"'You live in a sphere to command it, sir,' was her reply, given with a counterfeited humility, and whether it was the tone of mingled insolence and submission she assumed, or simply the sense of his own unworthiness in her sight, but Warnsdorf cowered before her like a frightened child. At this moment the servant entered and presented a visiting-card to the princess. "'Ah, he comes in an opportune moment,' cried she. "'This is the minister of the Duke of Massa's household, the Chevalier Stubber. "'Yes,' continued she to the servant, "'I will receive him.' If there was not any conspicuous gracefulness in the Chevalier's approach, there was an air of quiet self-possession that bespoke of a sense of his own worth and importance and while he turned to pay his respects to the young count his unpolished manner was not devoid of a certain dignity it is a fortunate chance by which i find you here count warnsdorf said he for you will be glad to learn that the young fellow you had that affair with at massa has just been liberated when and how cried the princess hastily as to the time it must be about four days ago as my letters inform me as to the how i fancy the count can best inform you he has interested himself greatly in the matter. The Count blushed deeply and turned away to hide his face, but not so quickly as to miss the expression of scornful meaning with which the Princess regarded him. But I want to hear the details, Chevalier, she said. And I can give you none, madam. My dispatches simply mentioned that the act of arrest was discovered in some way to be informal. Sir Horace Upton proved so much. There then arose a question of giving him up to us. But my master declined the honour. He would have no trouble, he said, with England or Englishmen, and some say that the youth claims an English nationality. The cabinet of Vienna are, perhaps, like-minded in the matter. At all events, he is free and will be here to-morrow. Then I shall invite him to dinner, and beg both of you gentlemen to meet him, said she, with a voice wherein a tone of malicious drollery mingled. I am your servant, madam, said Stubber and i am engaged said warnsdorf taking up his shako you're off to vienna to-night count warnsdorf whispered the princess in his ear what do you mean madam said he in a tone equally low only that i have a letter written for the archduchess sophia which i desire to entrust to your hands you may as well read it ere i seal it the count took the letter from her hand and retired towards the window to read it while she conversed eagerly with stubber she did not fail from time to time to glance towards the other and mark the expression of his features as he folded and replaced the letter in its envelope and slowly approaching her said you are most discreet madam i hope i am just sir she said modestly this was something of a difficult undertaking too said he with an equivocal smile it was certainly a pleasant and proud one sir as it always must be to write to a mother in commendation of her son by the way, Chevalier, you have forgotten to make your compliments to the Count on his promotion. I have not heard of it, madam. What may it be? asked Stubber. To the command of the Palin Hussars, sir, one of the proudest charges of the Empire. A rush of blood to Warnsdorf's face was as quickly followed by a deadly pallor, and with a broken faint utterance he said good-bye and left the room. A fine young fellow, the very picture of a soldier, exclaimed Stubber, looking after him a chevalier of the olden time sir the very soul of honour said the princess enthusiastically and now for a little gossip with yourself it is not in our brief to record what passed in that chatty interview plenty of state secrets and state gossip there was abundance of that dangerous trifling which mixes up the passions of society with the great game of politics 
and make statecraft feel the impress of men's whims and caprices. We were just beginning that era, the policy of resentment, which has since pervaded Europe, and the Chevalier and the Princess were sufficiently behind the scenes to have many things to communicate, and here we must leave them while we hasten on to other scenes and other actors. End of chapter 42